Before we begin this week's episode, we would like to spotlight Plus Winnipeg's 5th annual Shevchenko Poetry Competition on the 20th of March. This will be an online event hosted via the official Plus Canada YouTube channel at 1pm on the 20th. We encourage all who are fans of Taras Shevchenko and his writing to join in online. Hello, and welcome to UK Life Abroad. My name is Andre, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Nathan and Alexa. Everyone has heard of the Seven Wonders of the World. However, most of you may not know that Ukraine has its own Seven Wonders. This week, we explored these seven sites that the people of Ukraine have voted as the most iconic in the country. This and more on Zakhradonia Ukrainsi, the podcast for all things Ukrainian. So we all know that the seven wonders of the ancient world and the modern world, but did you guys know that Ukraine also has its own list of seven wonders? Well, it stands that, you know, each country would have its own list of what they consider wondrous or amazing or fantastic or anything like that. So Ukraine created its list of seven wonders in July of 2007, and the um, man behind this drive was the deputy chairman of the Verkhovna Rada, Mikola Tomenko, and he started like a campaign called Piznavai Ukraino, or like Discover Ukraine. And due to his actions, Ukraine now has a list of seven wonders of Ukraine. It also has the seven natural wonders of Ukraine, the seven wonderful roots of Ukraine, and the seven wonderful castles of Ukraine. So firstly, a bit of context as to how the list was chosen. Like this came at the time when Ukraine first started to actively um, look at its culture and, you know, see itself in a more touristy light. And local and oblast councils, once the competition was announced, compiled a list of almost 1,000 possible locations, which were then later filtered down by a council of experts, including culturologists, historians, tourist specialists. And they uh, cut this list down from 1,000 to 20, um, 21 and the public then voted on the, t- the top seven of those 21, which would then go on to create the list. So over 77,000 people voted on the internet for this. And there was also, you know, your traditional voting via mail. And the results were announced in on the 21st of August in 2007 in the lead up to the Independence Day celebrations of that year. So let's dive into this list, Nathan. What was the winning spot on the list? All right. So the number one spot was taken by Sofivska Park. And this is a, it's like a botanical garden. And it is on the site of the National Academy of Sciences of Ukraine. Yeah, it forms a part of the Institute of Science. Yeah, so... um. Now, it was, it was founded in uh, 1796 by Count Stanislav Potoski, and he was a Polish noble, and he rebuilt this Uman area where it's located, uh, in the city of Uman in Chikarsa Oblast. And so after they had a peasant uprising, he decided that he was going to rebuild it, and he named the park after his Greek wife, Sophia. So, lovely story there. Um, <laughs> now, when I looked at this thing... Um, the actual park itself. Yeah, straight away you can see it's got that botanical garden kind of theme to it. It has both like 
grassy areas it's got water and it's got paths we can go through it's not so much like a large park in the sense of like one where you can go and play sport it's designed specifically for its you know its plant life largely well it's mostly um, consists of trees so you can tell it's there just to kind of show off the um the the grandeur yeah 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 and the nature side of it um yeah but straight away when i look at it i automatically think of have you guys ever been to um i think it's cockington gardens in canberra yes it is very you know that traditional european style of garden everything's like manicured lawn yep 100 percent. so yeah as soon as i saw it i was like oh that's what it looks like so for all the australian <laughs> listeners you can, if you can imagine yeah cockington green or cockington gardens yeah that's what um sophia park kind of looks like but probably with less miniature models that's true yeah, <laughs> gotta step up their miniatures game <laughs> have you guys been there no but we have covered Ulmine in a previous story because Ulmine is the site of a very famous memorial where a Jewish rabbi is buried. And every year, thousands of Jews from Israel visit the city and pay homage to his grave on Jewish New Year's Eve. Is this the story we did where the pilgrims got trapped because of COVID? Yes. Okay, right. So yeah, We might do a deep dive into that one time. So, Andre, what was number two on the list? So the second one was called Cave of Pacharska Lavra, or Cave Monastery of the Caves. So this cave monastery was formed in 1051, quite a long time ago, but um, it became the prominent center of the Eastern Orthodox Christianity in Eastern Europe. Now, uh, that's over a thousand years almost, pretty much of history. And it's a shame that some of it's not like the original, because uh, because there are some parts which have been rebuilt after the Second World War, and I oh, guess the famous blowing up of parts of Kiev by the retreating Soviets. Yeah, yeah. So there are uh, some parts. So you have the Great Lavra Bell Tower, which is one of the most notable features of Kiev's skyline, and it was one of the biggest freestanding bell towers at the time in 1731-1745, and it stood around. 96 and a half meters so it's pretty tall yeah so like when you look at it it's sort of it it sort of looks like uh saint sophia and that it's got like many it's got a couple layers and then it has the dome on top as well and it's got that classical look to it as well now the second uh section of the pachaska lavra was the Dominican Cathedral, which was destroyed in World War II and was had to be completely rebuilt. When they rebuilt it, Andre? Uh, I have a guess, Nathan. It's after World War II, yeah? Yeah. 19... I'm going to say 1990s. Ooh, you're yeah, actually close. 1995 was when it was fully restored after Ukraine's independence. I thought so. I was going to say like... So it's like St. Michael's also re- rebuilt after independence. Yeah. like So before then, it used to be uh, a museum park and the Soviet authorities didn't really do anything afterwards to restore it. But this one sort of, to me, looks a lot more like... It's a lot of white rather than... Like white and gold rather than like how... You, well, Saint Sophia's white and gold. Yeah, but they've okay. got it's got more green on the roof. Maybe I'm trying. I'm I'm like more thinking that it's like feels like it's meant to be in 
Western Europe, like in France or something. So is it kind of like it has more of a Roman Catholic as opposed to that Byzantine style to it? I think just the outside because outside when you don't look at the top, it sort of looks like a... Uh, like a Western European style, but then on top you start having like icons and stuff, and then you it's, have the domes. You know yeah. why though? It's that Baroque architecture style, well, yeah, which is I- you know developed in the Renaissance, and so because all of these churches would have been rebuilt under the Kozakere, uh, it's probably why they have that more Western European look compared yeah. to the churches in like say Russia or Belarus, yeah. which would have had less influence. It was built 1051, so oh yeah, Ukrainian Baroque. Now, for those that don't know about the church, what's the whole deal of the caves, Andre? Yeah, that's what I'm keen yeah. for. So, um, underneath this whole site is uh, a labyrinth of caves, really. And they're actually split up into two sections, the near caves and the far caves. Now, um, the cave system underneath is very narrow, about one and a half meters wide and two to two and a half meters tall. So kind of a bit of a squeeze if you're trying to pull a mattress in, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so underneath they had living quarters and underground chapels. So you can't really pivot the furniture, can you? Like they did in Friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so then in... um, So when uh, Pachatka Lava was being uh, founded, the monks, St. Anthony, settled in the old caves near the Sarkva, and he started adding additions to it, um, which was like extra corridors and an, even a chapel inside as well. So um, it's quite fascinating how big it was, really. And um, later on in the 16th and 17th century, foreign travelers wrote that the catacombs stretched from uh, stretched all the way to Moscow and Novgorod. So that's well, over 100 kilometers or so thousand maybe yeah (laughs) so from that um it kind of blew up the whole um awareness of uh, the pachaska lava and that's kind of like the main thing it's like what it's really known for is like all this cave systems and stuff i don't think i think it's very hard to get in there's like set times and every time i've gone i've missed it that's pretty crazy. Like, there's, you know, this whole church built on top of all these caves. Um, but I remember, like, when I was in, like, Ukrainska Shkola, they said, like, that there were, like, mummies or something down there. Is that true? There's quite a lot of them, actually. So, um, they're, they're people that have, like, significant importance to um, Ukraine or, like, the Pachaska Lavra. So, for example, we have Nestor the Chrono- uh We have Nestor the Chronolica which um, he was the first one to write sort of like the whole history of uh, Kerskotos beforehand. What's the thing he wrote? The grand, the main... The tale of bygone years. Okay. Yeah, so he, he uh, wrote the tale of bygone years, which depicts the beginning history of Kerskotos and other sections as well. We also have Olach, the son of Volodymyr, the second monomach, in there as well. Um we have uh, Skirgalia, the regent grand duke of Lithuania. We and and another important one with, uh, was Pope Clement the uh, first. So his head is in the far caves, and his remaining relics were brought to San Clemente in Rome by Saint Kirill and Methodius. So those two were 
sort of like the creators of the Cyrillic language back then. And I remember, Andre, um, when our Ukrainska Shkola did a tour of Ukraina, mm-hmm. um, didn't you guys visit um, this church and like go in the caves or? I can't remember if we went in the caves, but we went around the uh, up top. So we went to the uh, the bell tower, the church, and the gate trinity, uh, the gate church of the Trinity, mm-hmm. and we went to some other sites as well there. But I don't think we ever went inside. I think we all we might have gone to like that beginning bit, but then it was like too late to go further in, so we never got really got to see the caves. So, just a little thing about Pope Clement. So, I'm pretty sure he was the third pope, like, ever. And um, it actually makes sense that he's, well, part of his relics would be in um, Kiev or in Ukraine because he actually ended up, uh, he was banished from Rome and was forced to work in a quarry and eventually he was um, sentenced to death so that he was tied to an anchor and thrown into the Black Sea. He was the second pope. His papacy began in 88 AD and ended in 99 AD. And he was the only pope to be consecrated by a previous pope because he was consecrated by St. Peter. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So, um, yeah, and he was thrown into the Black Sea, which would make sense if he's, then his relics are in Ukraine. Currently, the jurisdiction over the site is divided between the State Museum, National Cave Pachatska Historic Cultural Preserve, and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the Moscow Patriarch as the site of the chief monastery of that church and the resident of its leader, Onifidus, Metropolitan of Kiev in all of Ukraine. Number three on the list was Kamenets Podilsky. So we've now moved from central Ukraine to western Ukraine. And Kamenets Podilsky is a city on the Stromach River. And it's not far from the city of Chernivtsi. And it's had quite a interesting history. So, for example, during 1919 to 1920, during Ukraine's war for independence, the city officially served as the temporary capital of the Ukrainian People's Republic um, towards the latter stages of the war, as, you know, before the Soviets temporarily occupied Ukraine. Um, the city itself has had quite an interesting ethnic makeup in it and so when you walk through the city you can see elements of polish culture you can see elements of ukrainian culture armenian culture um even like ottoman culture because they occupied the city for various periods of time during history and because of this like um because of this history the city's kind of preserved its historic center and the nearby fortress and created this big kind of almost open air museum and you can walk around and you can see all the um like old like the old town of how it would have looked like in like its heyday and it's quite cool and then in more modern times the city has you know tried to build on that touristy center and now holds the annual Cossack games and festivals such as open ballooning and car racing through the city as well as um various music festivals throughout the summer which encourages multiple people to come visit the place. Now, me and Andrei have visited Kamenets Podilsky, I think, twice now? Yeah, I think so. So, it's a very pretty city. It's very Instagrammable for those who want to visit. It's one of, like, the iconic images that comes up when you search up Ukraine because it's on a lot of, like, postcards and stuff. And it lights up pretty well at night. So, like, vivid? 
<laughs> not not like that. Well, but- it has the iconic photo of like the castle, and then you've got this tiny sliver of a road that goes across a ravine to the city. So Ukraine is currently trying to have Kamenets Podilsky um, listed on UNESCO's World Heritage List, but so far it hasn't been accepted. So hopefully in the in the future it will be. There's quite a lot of activities there. I remember one of them was like you could get like a sealed paper or like envelope. Oh, like the old school style. Yeah, yeah. So like you would have like a seal of uh, I think it was Kamenets Podilsky or something like that. Or you could even pick your own one. I think they had a couple versions. I think Harry Potter was even one of them. <laughs> so you get a letter from Harry Potter. That's pretty cool. From Hogwarts, sorry. Oh, well, it does look quite Hogwartsy <laughs> if you look from like the photos, like of all the big towers and stuff. Okay, so our fourth item yeah. on this list of um, Seven Wonders of uh, Ukraine, we have Hortitsya. Now, this is... You mean the vodka, Nathan? Oh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yes. World renowned. Um, so, this is actually the largest island in the Dnipro River. But it is also important because it actually has a stronghold built on it as well. And this was an important part of Ukraine's history, specifically uh, the history of the Zaporozhian Cossacks. So, the earliest... Um, record about the stronghold, the stronghold known as Sitch, refers to one that was actually located on a smaller island called Small Khortitsya. And in 1775, the Sitch was destroyed by the Russian, by a Russian general uh, on the orders of Catherine the Great, unfortunately. So then the, Zoz, uh, the Zaporozhian Cossacks were displaced as a result of this, and they eventually ended up settling on the Kuban River in the Caucasus area. Um, and these eventually these Cossacks became known as the Kuban Cossacks. So, <clears throat> a very important part in Ukraine's history there. Um, and nowadays, the major part of the reserve covers the Zaporozhian Cossacks Museum. And this often includes a Cossack horse show. So, I don't know, have you guys seen this horse show? Yeah, I've seen it once. Uh Again, the famous Ukrainska Shkola tour of Ukraine yeah, <laughs> that Andrei's been on. <laughs> yeah, they had a couple shows. And I think on that one, they were riding uh, on a bunch of horses. And I think at one point, they stood up on there. Like, I, think, I can't remember if they did a handstand. That might be excessive. But uh, Is this the one where he cut the Ohirok with a sword in your hand? No, no. Or was that someone else that had it done to him? That was someone else. But um, yeah, and I think they would like come off the side... And I'd be like riding sideways on the horse. So if I ever visit um, Zaporizhia, I'm definitely going to go and visit um, that. Can't you see from Khortitsa one of Ukraine's more modern marvels? Are you talking about the Hydro Dam? Hydro Dam, yes. Hydroelectric. Ah. <laughs> we actually drove across it and it's like huge. And there's actually, I think, it, uh, wasn't if- it the largest hydroelectric dam in Europe at one point? I think it still is. And then during World War II, the Russians blew it up, of course, as they would. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, as we were driving across, you could actually see how um, they use, like, their, like, water lift. Oh, the lock to lift you? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because you come in from, like, if you're going upstream, right, you'd open up into this, like, huge, like, concrete wall around you. And then you'd go in and they'd close behind you. And then they'd, like, pour water down into the... Uh, into the lock and they'd raise you up and you can continue along the Nipro River. So what's the water level difference, do you reckon? Uh, like 10 metres? 
off the top of your head. Huge. I think it was like twenty meters. That's pretty crazy. So the last thing on um, Hortichal says that the um, <clears throat> presently the stronghold in quotes that exists <laughs> there is the uh, Zaporozhian Cossacks Museum. It was built in 1983. Um, so if you go there, don't think that that's the original stronghold <laughs> that was rebuilt at some point. No, that's just the museum. But I got a massive like Lord of the Rings vibe when I saw that. Yeah, you were saying well, when we were looking at photos before we recorded that it reminded you of... The city of... Uh, one of the cities in Rohan where they're like up on the mountains with all the wooden uh, walls and the wooden structures and everything. Yeah, definitely gave me a Lord of the Rings feel. Anyway, next. So next stop is Hersanaz, which is on the outskirts of present-day Sevastopol on the Crimean Peninsula. It was actually named by the Greeks. And it was settled by the Greeks originally. So it's like when you see on those ancient Roman maps of the Roman Empire, like they've got that little bottom bit of Crimea as no, part of the, the Roman Empire. This is the Greeks. Oh, so it's even before that. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, have a guess what Hersonas actually means in Greek. Cheese steaks. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> peninsula. <laughs> Which so is the cl- city is called Peninsula, in and Greek. it's on yeah. a peninsula. Yeah. That's, that's a very creative thing. <laughs> yeah. What shall we name this city on this peninsula? Oh, I got it, guys. Peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, there was a town there before, and I think it even became... Uh, a city-state or something, didn't it? Something like that. Like a small imperial garrison, really, or a town. And... Um, it was more there to be used as an observation point to watch the barbarian tribes in that area. And um, as you know, because it's the middle of nowhere and there's like barely anything there, uh, it was a popular place for exile. And so guess uh, guess who's up in this place? Pope Clement I. It's all linked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so po- uh, Pope Clement I and Pope Martin I, as well as the deposed Byzantine Emperor Justinian II. That's yeah. a lot of famous people. Yeah, just to be trapped here. <laughs> now, um, another historical fact was that Vladimir Veleki or uh, Vladimir the Great was baptized in uh, Hersones in 988 and thus paving the way for the baptism of Kaiskurus. So, um, Kaisk- uh, sorry, uh, Hersones and Kiev were kind of the... like the important sites for the baptism of Kaiskarus uh, as well. And now some archaeological sites here as well are quite interesting. So <laughs> it's not like a conventional name, but it's called the 1935 Basilica, which was um, supposedly, it's not entirely sure what the Basilica was for, but it's um, probably built as on the site of an earlier temple, presumed by historians to be a synagogue, itself replica- uh, replacing a small temple dating from the early days of Christianity. Now, it's called 1935 Basilica because that was the year it was opened and its original name is unknown. There's also a museum which contains um, important artifacts from that time period, even the oath of the Hersenes citizens, so you can... <laughs> Become a citizen if you want to, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a collection of coins, some pebbles, and uh, ancient ceramics and fragments as well. Now, um, there's a bit of controversy in Hersonets, considering that it's now been annexed by Russia, 
and the Russian occupation authorities have fired the previous director and have appointed a priest, Serhii Halyota, to the position of the Hersonets Preserve and to look over the site, really. What's so controversial about this guy? I mean, because he's a priest. Why would that be controversial, though? Because I remember when, like, uh, before, like, the annexation, oh. there was disputes between the Russian Orthodox Church and the museum as to who owned what land. So I'm guessing by them appointing a priest is them favoring the mm. church over the museum. So kind of like Prochalska Lavra has the different jurisdiction, jurisdictions, but if you appointed like a priest as overseeing all three of those jurisdictions, then that kind of puts gives favor to the religious side. Yeah, but now he's uh, stepped down after another controversy in that the governor and him uh, were complaining about the road construction, which was within the territory of the reserve. So, yeah, hopefully Khersonas survives the Russian occupation. They don't damage it too much. But knowing how well they look after things in Crimea. Absolutely. Yeah. All these sites around Crimea um, that are near the coast, I think, are really pretty. There's, uh, I remember looking up once... Um, I happened across this like trail called the uh, Tsar Trail, and it was a trail that the Tsar used to walk when, uh, whenever he was sick and the doctors taught him to go out for fresh air. He'd come out and go along this trail from his uh, palace in, I think it's, uh, in, K- in Krem and go for a walk. So I really want to travel there because that goes along, I think. I think it's in this general area in like, the south of Crimea. Well, out of all the um, seven wonders of Ukraine, this one was always on the bucket list to see. But just might have to wait a little while now. Yeah. <laughs> so then number six on the list is St. Sophia Cathedral in Kiev. And it is, you know, um, it's probably the most famous site on this list besides probably Pecharska Lavra, I'd say. And it was also Ukraine's first... Um, UNESCO World Heritage listing along with Pachaska Lavra, and they were both listed in the early 90s. Well, aren't they like, kind of considered to be like part of the same? They're technically, um, they were both submitted on the same, as part of the same submission. So they're listed together, but they're run by two separate trusts. Um, and so the muse- the church itself was built to commemorate the Hagia Sophia Cathedral in Istanbul, present-day Istanbul and um, was used for various important um, historical moments in Ukraine. So, for example, Yaroslav the Wise is, was buried in there and when you visit the church, you can still see his sarcophagus. Um, after the Union of Brest in the 1500s, the church joined the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church and then was later reclaimed by the Orthodox Church a hundred years later by Petro Mohela when he was revitalizing Ukraine's Orthodox Christianity. Um, After the 1917 Russian Revolution, um, the Soviets um, wanted to destroy the cathedral because, you know, they had their anti-religious policies. However, unlike St. Michael's Cathedral across the road, St. Sophia was saved by the works of various historians and um, scientists who said that the church, the interior of the church preserved ancient 
Chaos Codal's culture and therefore was worthy of protecting. So thankfully they succeeded on that one and not every historic church in Ukraine is just a rebuilt replica. You reckon it would have been a tennis court if they took it down? <laughs> if you don't, um, for those that don't know the reference, that's what happened to St. Michael's Church. It was meant to be a building, but then World War II happened, so they turned it into a tennis court afterwards. That was a swimming pool. No, that was the Christ the Saviour Church in Moscow became a swimming pool. So basically church become sports centres, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the theme. Or storage houses, like the one in Ar- the the Catholic Church in Arcelo in Ukraine. Oh, yeah, that one. Mama was like, they used to source, store cement in the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, as you do. As you do. Um, and most... F- most recently, the church again added to added to its historical repertoire by being the site of the unification council of the various Ukrainian Orthodox churches when they created the recognized Orthodox Church of Ukraine and elected Metropolitan Yepifanius of Kiev and all of Ukraine. Right, is that Lucky last, number seven. All right, so number seven, we have another military one, but it's... Pretty cool. So it's Khotun Fortress, and it is located in Khotun in Chernivsky Oblast. So this fortress is located in close proximity to another famous defensive structure, the old Kamyanets Castle. Which and was entry number three on our list. Yes, so these two are very, very close to each other, um, which is not surprising. Fortresses and castles, I'm sure this was a heavily militarized area at some point in time so this construction began in 1325 and then they had major improvements in the 1380s and 1460s so straight away you can tell that this is a very important part of Ukraine's history not to mention if you see its condition I'm sure it's been um, you know maintained over the years but it is in quite a good condition for something that was you know created in the 1300s now, this, uh, the beginning of this fortress, it goes back to the Khotun Fort, which was built in the 10th century by Prince Vladimir Sviatoslav as one of the border fortifications of southwest Kievan Rus, after he added the land to what is now present-day Bukovina. Uh, in 1250 to 1264, Prince Danilo of Hulich and his son Lev rebuilt this fortress and they added half a meter stone walls um, ar- around the structure as well as a six meter wide moat around the fortress additionally on top of that. So a massive structure. If you see the photos of this thing, it's actually kind of crazy. Um, I love the uh, wall that goes like on the side where the river is. Where it's just like goes straight up. It's like, what, 50 meters tall? Yeah, um, I can't imagine trying to scale that thing. Um, <laughs> but Alexi, you were saying that they've used this for movies? Yeah, so Khaten Fortress is quite a popular place to shoot movies. And even during the Soviet era, various Western movies were filmed in the vicinity. So um, if anyone has seen The Viper from 1965, that was filmed near Khaten. Um, the Arrows of Robin Hood in 1975 was also filmed there. Um, the Ballad of the Valiant Knight, Ivanhoe from 1983 was filmed there. Oh, Ivanhoe. That's an old one. Yeah. So there's a lot of classics filmed there. Oh, Taras Bulba. Of course. The <coughs> Russian version. The Russian version. Was okay. filmed near 
um, yes, I'm not just... the cool, not the cool one from the seventies. Okay, yes, I'm just skim <laughs> reading the list here. Um, and the because of its more Western European looking style, the fortress was usually used to represent various French and English castles, including La Rochelle in France. That just makes me think of um, Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> Go away, or I shall taunt you a second time. <laughs> so. Um, my, though speaking on that note, I know they did one of the Napoleon movies in the Soviet Union, and they basically just used a Soviet army of conscripts to do the Battle of Waterloo and <laughs> taught them French military drill. <laughs> so, like, I don't know, like, I mean, they filmed it from a helicopter. It's like insane, like, because they used like cannons and everything to recreate the entire battle. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you could not, like, pre CGI. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so looking into the more modern history of this um, structure or this wonder. Um, so during the First World War and the Russian Civil War, both of these had uh, a massive toll on this area, Khotin. And um, as we all know, Ukraine over the years has, um, you know, changed, um, would you say, administrations or different countries or kingdoms have owned different areas of it. So in 1918, Khotin was occupied by five uh, states. It had Russian, Ukrainian, the Moldovan National Republic owned part of it, Austria-Hungary, as well as Romania. And then on the 10th of November 1918, Khotin was taken over by the Kingdom of Romania. So this, while it is a Ukrainian structure and its history dates back to Kiev and Rus, um, you know, it has changed um, hands over the years as well. Um, so, but I'm, I'm just glad that in all of that, it still managed to remain standing. You know, there wasn't like a campaign against, oh, we've got to take down all of these Ukrainian forts that are around, <laughs> like they did with the churches. It's a, it's great that this one's still standing. So that was our list of seven wonders of Ukraine. Um, do you guys reckon that they've missed one or that one of them shouldn't be on this list? Controversial opinion time. Um, well, I was thinking... I guess when we say wonders, we're talking about sites that have been built. Like straight away, I thought, oh, why isn't Tarashevchenko's grave there? But then I thought, okay, graves, I guess that's more of like a historical or a cultural site as opposed to being a wonder of the country. So, yeah. I feel like it's very um, like centered Ukraine. Cause you have so you have um, Saint Sophia, you have Pachaska Lavra. Yeah, so you have two located in Kiev, Sofievska Parks in Cherkaska Oblast, which is just below Kiev. Yeah, so, like, it's a lot, like, it's very, like, clumped up together, and it's not really, like, you, you have, like, one in western Ukraine, um, like, further up north, I mean, like, closer to Poland and stuff. You don't have one in eastern Ukraine, really. Or do you? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So you mean, like, the monastery I'm pretty sure this one, in Donbass, yeah. the really famous one? Yeah, I think the one in, like, the monastery in Donbass... Uh, it looks really nice, and I think that one should have been on there, but I don't know how they pick it. Really. Well, it was the public vote, so the public voted and decided. I know Lviv was con- uh, was upset that they didn't get onto the list, but I think they got very cocky and thought that they'd automatically get elected on. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I think in general, there's quite a good spread. Like you have Kamenets Budilski and... Khotin in the west, you have Zapudija sort of representing the east, you have Hersones in Crimea, and then Kiev and Cherkasy representing central Ukraine. So there is some um, 
widespread. I just wonder if they held the competition again today, would different sites win? But uh, to be honest, not too many jump to mind that could compete with the list. Yeah, the, like there was the there were three runners up to the list. So there was the Pesinka Museum in Colomea. Oh yeah, but again, that's more of a cultural thing as opposed to yeah, you know, a wonder of construction. And then the Lavidia Palace, which I don't know where that is, and then Ostroch Castle in Volyn Oblast in western Ukraine. Yeah. So, okay. Last thing. If you guys had to recommend one out of the seven, which would it be, Alexa? Mine would be Kamienets Podilski. Okay. Andrei? I'd say Hersonets because it's uh, very old and I like that sort of stuff, but not right now. <laughs> I wouldn't go now. <laughs> yeah, true. Um I was actually on the fence between that one, but I'm going to have to go with um, Hortizia because I think that one will be pretty interesting. Uh, not just for its historical significance, but also I want to see that horse show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, well, we recommend if anyone's visiting Ukraine, definitely check out these sites because they are, I mean, they've been voted as the best ones, the seven best ones in Ukraine. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. A bucket list to be visited. In the news this week, the Italian city of Florence this year has marked the birthday of Taras Shevchenko by unveiling a statue of the legendary Ukrainian bard. Ukraine's Ministry of Foreign Affairs has reacted to demands of Israeli ambassador to Ukraine Joel Leon. The demands were to repeal the Ternopil City Council's decision to rename a local football stadium in honour of Roman Shukhavich. The ministry responded by saying, Preserving the national memory of the Ukrainian people remains one of the priorities of, the Ukra- of Ukraine's state policy. Discussions in this area should be held at the level of historians. Diplomats should work to strengthen relations of friendship and mutual respect between peoples, not vice versa. Roman Shukhavich was the commander-in-chief of the Ukrainian insurgent army UPA during and after the Second World War, during which they fought for Ukraine's independence. The grave of Ukrainian nationalist leader Stepan Bandera has been desecrated by unknown persons. Ukraine's ambassador to Germany has called on the police to find the culprits. Ukrainian World Congress has also condemned the attack. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Join us next week for more UK Life Abroad content.